Hello team and welcome to episode 366 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lewis Potts. Lewis is an online fat loss coach and mindset coach. Not so long ago, Lewis was playing American football in Australia and was weighing in at over 110 kilos. Fast forward to today, Lewis has dropped essentially half of his body weight, went through open heart surgery, and is transforming the minds and bodies of so many around him. In this episode, you can expect to learn how Lewis handled such a big transition in his life and the thoughts he had leading up to his heart surgery, Lewis's thoughts on the grind and hustle culture, along with whether he believes motivation even exists, and how to utilize what many people believe is just a cliche term. So without further ado, Lewis Potts. Lewis Potts, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm very, very well. I'm excited to have you on today's podcast as well. I've noticed that the recent guests that I've been working with haven't been people I've known before. So I'm excited to speak to someone who I know pretty well already, but also get to know you on a deeper basis. So before we do dive in, can you let the listeners know a little bit about yourself? Who is Lewis and what is it that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Who is Lewis? That's an interesting question. <laughs> uh, so I am I'm an online coach, uh, first and foremost, running a, a company called Body and Brain, um, where we focus on fat loss, but also very heavily into the mindset side of things as well. So mindset, not just relating to fat loss, just in general. And more recently, I'm now the head of coaching at what is soon to be FBU, so Fitness Business University, um, running a team of 11 coaches now that are responsible for helping other coaches grow their businesses. Amazing. And I want to take a few steps back. So obviously, you didn't just land as being this coach. So where did it all begin? Like, where did you see yourself being at this stage of your life when you were a teenager? Is this always a path that you wanted to go down? Or were you interested in other areas? Yeah, another great question. I don't, at this stage, when I was a teenager, I don't really know. I've not really put much thought to it. I was kind of just like bouncing from thing to thing. So I was fairly gifted is the right word at school what like i hated i hated school i was just fairly clever in terms of like examinations and stuff like that uh so the natural progression i went on to college so i did a levels uh where i realized that i wasn't actually that gifted so like i believe that anybody can pass GCSEs with no work right like <laughs> a levels is a different kind of kettle of fish altogether so went on to do my a levels and really really struggled really struggled there which was enough to put me off of university. So literally, like, like when I say I bounce from thing to thing with no real kind of long-term plan, like, I mean it. I then went into hospitality, uh, so bartending, and eventually went into the management side of things there. Moved to Australia when it was 2016 for a couple of years, and then moved back from Australia and went back into bartending. So again, had no idea. At this stage, I was like, Do you know what? I'd, I'd kind of be happy just running a bar, like... Just managing, managing a team. I like the hospitality side of things. I like the social side of things. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I was, yeah, I was kind of set on that. And then out of nowhere, Steve offered me. So me and Steve have been best mates since, since I went to university in 2010. So out of nowhere, this is now 2019, Steve offered me a job just basically doing his admin work. So he was at the time a fairly successful online coach himself. It had never crossed my mind. I had no qualifications. Um, I'd always loved training, but I'd never, I didn't know anything about dieting. I was, I was 150 odd kilos myself. I, I wasn't the healthiest guy. So yeah, it was just, 
a complete U-turn, a complete U-turn. And yeah, I, I started doing his admin and within like two or three weeks, so we used to sit in his uh, in his mum and dad's like spare room and we'd had these two armchairs and he'd be sat doing his work and check-ins and client calls and all that sort of stuff. And I'd just be like updating training programs and just doing like admin stuff. Within like two or three weeks, I was like, I could do that. Like, I could do that. No, so I realized I realized how much was going into it. And I also realized the impact that he was having on other people's lives. And I was like, actually, yeah, that, that really interests me, really intrigues me. For the first time, I guess I could I could see like purposes, I guess the cliche word, like purpose. And it just snowballed from there. So I then ended up begging him to let us start like a group program, which I kind of took care of uh, and then went into one-to-one coaching. And it just, yeah, it just from that point, it just really snowballed and it's been a it's, it's been a fairly accelerated journey since. Yeah, it's an incredible journey because a lot of people think that maybe you have to be invested in the fitness industry super early to come into it and you've missed out on a bunch of years, but you're a primary example of not needing to be super involved, at least in the industry side of things. I know you trained a lot, but I want to touch on something that if the listeners heard it, they won't be able to resist. It's 150 kilos. <laughs> that seems like a far cry from where you are today. So I'm curious to hear about that journey up to 150 kilos because of I've heard you speaking podcasts before and you were like, that was my happiest that I've ever been almost. Yes, again, um, it was one of those things that that wasn't uh, that wasn't an accelerated journey. That was like a long time coming. Um, I've always loved I've always loved training. I've always loved being in the gym. I've always always played sport. This is the thing that kind of confuses some people is that how can somebody have played sports sport since they're eight years old and still be walking around at that size? But again, I played rugby and then I went into American football. The... My justification was the position that I play in American football. I played on the defensive line, so big is good, heavy is good, right? But yeah, it was it was a bit of a weird journey. I was the typical kind of cliche like yo-yo dieter, so I'd get to a certain amount of weight. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to sort my shit out now, and I'd lose a, t- a bunch of weight, and then I'd gain some back and more, and I'd just kind of like up and down and up and down and up and down. Um When I moved to Australia, the standard of football over there was like really good like really, really good. And again, the weight really helped in the position that I was playing. It was, there was no like, you hear, you hear people talk about like weight gain and stuff. There was no like, it was no like trauma response. It wasn't like, like, feelings or anything like that. I just really enjoyed food and being heavy benefited me in my sport. So there's no, there's yeah, there's no real like, well, not that I've uncovered anyway. There's no real like deep, meaningful, behind it yeah and then that process of getting that weight off like obviously there was no traumatic reasons behind you gaining the weight i have a similar story it's not as exaggerated but i remember being maybe like 18 years old and getting to 93 kilos because of i was quote unquote dirty bulking at the time so i get the idea of like intentionally putting on weight it's like well i want to gain muscle mass everyone tells me that i'm young and i should be bulking and this is just a great excuse just to eat a lot of food and work out and you know like i'm bigger than i've ever been so i feel fantastic so i can relate to that massively but then obviously the process of taking that off like 93 kilos wasn't it was only about 20 kilos away from where i needed to be but you must have been you know a good like 70 kilos or something away from where you really needed to be so what did the journey of getting that weight off look like it must have been a pretty big job yeah the, the dirty bottle thing I'm, I'm, I'm like remembering back now so on the way up i was friends with a lot of people that were in great shape right so 
when they would bulk, I'd be like, oh, well, I'll just bulk with them. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I, I've done the whole dirty bulk again when I had no, when I had no place in doing so. Uh, just, I think my issue is most people will do like a bulk and then a cut. I just never did a cut. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, but getting the weight off, I think to really give context on that, we should probably—I I probably need to give a little bit of like information about my heart. I—I I had a heart condition, have a heart condition, I guess, something that was born with a a bicuspid valve, which over time had, had developed into an aneurysm. When I found out how serious it was, basically all training and sport got removed. So there was no more, no more lifting, no more sport, no more like like all of that was gone. Um, so. Getting the weight off, which actually wasn't linked to the heart condition. The reason that I started to get the weight off was a, uh, I had a bit of an enlightening experience at a festival where I just decided there and then that I'm just going to get rid of the weight. Like I'm just going to lose the weight. Like it was, it was those things. Yeah. Um, but because of the heart condition, I actually had to lose all of the weight with no exercise at all. I say no exercise at all. Um, the guidelines I was given is I, I was allowed to do light to moderate cardio three times a week for about 20 minutes a time. Uh, so basically three times a week, I used to spend 20 minutes, half an hour on an exercise bike. That was it. Like not, not even, not no sprints, nothing, just kind of like ticking over. Uh, so I, I say no exercise. It, there was exercise, but that was it. Like it, it wasn't like I was really, really kind of throwing myself into it. Um, yeah. So it was eighteen months to two years of just straight dieting. Um, Sixty-five kilos. So I went from one hundred and fifty-two kilos right down to eighty-seven. I was talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago, and it's just one of those things that kind of happened to me, and I, I, I don't think I really kind of pay any attention to the magnitude of it almost it was just it was during lockdown there was no real temptation i wasn't going out i wasn't partying i wasn't doing any of that sort of that stuff there was nothing to do apart from diet and do steps really <laughs> like that's where i really developed this passion for the mindset side of things is that it became very apparent very quickly in my own journey that it was fuck all to do with calories it was nothing to do with like, well, definitely wasn't anything, anything to do with, for tra with training for me personally. It was more about like decision making and resilience and the ability to practice delayed gratification. And, and, and it was that was the, that was the stuff. Right. Yeah, we're definitely going to touch on more of that in just a moment. And I want to get an idea of how you were able to leave quite a cool lifestyle behind. I appreciate you have a super cool lifestyle right now, but you're in Australia, you were playing American football. Like, did you have to, and you had that identity, right? As like, maybe Lewis is 150 kilos, Lewis the American footballer, Lewis the life of the party. So how did you find transitioning out of that? Was it just like a bit of like, okay, well, I need to do this because of my heart is this way? Or was there any challenges with leaving that version of yourself behind? Because that's a big one with a lot of people who lose a lot of weight, right? It's like, it's not just about losing the weight, it's an identity shift as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, a bit of a weird one. When I found out about the heart condition in Australia, their guideline, their, their guidance was, but you're, you're fit, you're healthy, you're an athlete, so don't worry about it. So you don't actually need to change anything, right? Which is which is wild looking back because if the aneurysm had popped, whether that was in the gym or on the field playing American football or just in general life, that was like game over. But at the time, I had no, I had no real reason to change. That, like I said, I just kind of continued on my, on my normal path. So in Australia, 
yeah, I was I was um, in the gym five days a week. Uh, it was games most weekends, uh, training midweek. So it was all very much revolving around that. But because I was allowed to continue that, nothing changed. It was when I got back that I had that kind of experience at the festival where it was the first time that I'd ever felt out of place ever. So surrounded by a bunch of people that I don't know that were all in great shape, really successful, all that sort of stuff. I'd already, I was already going through this transition of being living in Australia, having this amazing life, like being able to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted to moving back to England where things are just a little bit more grim, like in general, like, yeah, I hear you. Right? That's why I don't live here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's easy for you to say sat on the other side of the world. So then it was a strange one. I had that episode at the festival. I started to sort myself out, but the, I kept partying for a while. So I kept going out at the weekends and drinking. I just started to tidy my diet up and all that sort of stuff. So, so again, I managed to cling on to that identity for a little bit longer. I was still DJing, not full time at this point. I was still like, DJing once, maybe twice a week. Um, still going out, all that sort of stuff. And then I guess looking back, it was kind of fortunate. Lockdown happened. So the real identity change for me happened when everybody had been forced into it anyway. So it's not like I had to decide to stop partying, like, full stop. Like, I remember partying right through Christmas. I went to um, I went to Berlin in early February, Actually, to go and see Slipknot, I actually bought this T-shirt in Berlin. And then I got back and within like two weeks, it was game over. Like everything's closed. Not just like, oh, well, I I personally need to go through this process. It's kind of, it was almost like forced upon, well, not just me, everyone. It really became apparent to me when everything opened up again. And obviously I'd been through that. I'd been through that process. I was going through that process and I'd done the work. And that's where it really became apparent to me that, oh, okay, I have left this behind. Like... It's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy how I know that the lockdown and the whole COVID situation was challenging for many, but it's amazing at how many people changed their life during that process as well. You know, when life is just kind of slowed down and, you know, turned on its head for two years and the way that people can turn their lives around. And I think that sometimes we underestimate, like, we could probably bring that into just normal life, but the circumstances just allowed us to create that. But it's uh, always a good reminder to people, like, you know, if you had that opportunity and you turn things around, it's amazing to hear how many stories came off the back of that as well. And one big thing during that time, I believe, happened was your heart surgery as well. Was that during the COVID period? Yeah, so, I mean, it was interesting. Like, I, I completely appreciate that it was a rough time for a lot of people. A lot of a lot of people, for, unfortunately, lost their lives and all that sort of stuff. But for me personally, looking back, it was a lot of good stuff. Like you said, a lot of good stuff happened. I I, I lost all the weight. I turned my life around. I built a business. I, I went through a load of like mental. I made a load of progress mentally as well with my, like my outlook and stuff like that. So yeah, it's just it's one of those things, I guess. Um, the surgery was December two thousand and twenty-one. So. It was still kind of COVID protocol because I had to shield before it. Um, it was kind of we were kind of coming out of the end of it, um, at least in the UK anyway. And I know it was kind of different all over the place. And what type of things go through your mind when a surgeon says, "I know that you're young and healthy, but we still have to, you know, essentially stop your heart in order to do this surgery," and then 
essentially like bring you back to life so to speak like what type of things go through your mind because that i can imagine like obviously you were doing a lot of the work mentally but i can also imagine that you know when you go through day-to-day stresses where you're like oh it's not as bad as having my heart turns off and you know people working on it and turning it back on so that must be quite a you know an insane experience so what did that look like i know that you are pretty mentally strong but that must be a challenge yeah so i mean in the in the in the run up to the surgery, so basically how it happened is because of COVID and because of all the kind of weight that I'd lost, I was in a situation where I no longer needed the surgery immediately. Okay, it yeah. was going to be one of those things I have in the future. But their guidance at one point was like, "Oh, you're you're no longer in immediate danger. We'll we'll just we'll keep monitoring you, and then at some point in the in in the future, at some point in your your later years you'll have to have the surgery that's the point where i kind of took it to them and i was like no <laughs> like absolutely not i was like you're doing it now <laughs> because obviously i'd, I'd had to stop everything I'd, I'd had to I, there was no exercise there was it was just anything that could spot anything that could create a spike in blood pressure i had to be really careful of really really careful of so like no like and the thing about it is is nobody could give me any guidelines so Whenever I had a question for them, I had like a direct line to the surgeon's receptionist, to the surgeon's secretary. And I was like, oh, can I, the, the one that really sticks out is, can I go on roller coasters? And they were like, we don't know. So I was like, well, like some friends, I know that sounds like a really kind of like small thing, right? But some friends were planning to go to Alton Towers. I, did, I didn't know if I could go. And, and I asked the question and that's when I really realized that nobody could tell me what I could or couldn't do because it's unethical to test this stuff. You can't find somebody with an aneurysm, put them on a roller coaster and <laughs> hope that they survive, right? So yeah, um, NHS in general were happy with me kind of not doing anything, not going about, uh, not, not getting the surgery. I wanted to get the surgery. So it kind of felt like the ball was in my court at that point. So when I actually spoke to the surgeon, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know every little gruesome detail. Like I said, I wanted to know how long I was going to be under for, the exact process. And that was my way of like being informed. I felt like was my way of like being okay with it. It was like, oh, okay, well, if I, if, if I at least understand it slightly, then, then I'm better with it. And it worked until the day that I got the phone call telling me that I needed to have the surgery. I, like it was time to have the surgery. So yeah, I'd, I'd put all the, I'd put all the work in, in the world mentally. I'd prepared myself as, as much as I could. I'd kind of practiced acceptance and made peace with stuff and, and it was all fine. And then I got a phone call on a, I want to, I want to say it was a Thursday, basically saying we've had an opening on uh, like three days from now. Do you want to have the surgery? Like asking me the question. And that's where it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's actually real now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it got very real. I mean, I'm kind of glad that it happened that way because I knew it was coming. I didn't have a date. I didn't have a deadline. There was nothing like looming over me. It was very much just a, we've had an opening, which is was a weird phone call to have because I'd been made aware that because I was no longer an emergency, if they rang me because they've got an opening, basically it meant that somebody that needed the surgery no longer did, which is obviously not ideal. Ah, yeah, it's pretty um, tough. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, okay, well, that's a weird conversation to have, like in in the first place. Um, then it was like, if you do want the surgery, you need to shield immediately because obviously COVID was still uh, happening, and and you can't risk catching anything because that'll really fuck things up for you. Um, yeah. So then it was kind of like two and a half. Well, it was two two nights, three days, just being locked in my house. Couldn't really see anybody. Couldn't really see my family. Like, yeah, it was it was 
that was that was an interesting three days. Did you have any fear of it not going successfully and any fear of like this might not actually work? And you know, I don't know what the risk factor was, but at the same time, like I said, it's no joke when they turn your heart off. I've never. Do you know what? I've never actually said this on uh, like on a podcast or anything. I was talking to my girlfriend about it today. What? I was convinced at one point that I wasn't going to wake up. Like, I don't know why. I don't know why. I just had this thing, right? So it was kind of like, well, I need to get it done anyway. We're going to go through with it. Like, there's, I've got to get it done at some point in the. I was playing the stats game. I was. I've got to get it done at some point in the future. Um, now's my best chance. So there was, and I'd kind of like. My my stance on a lot of these things, right, is you've always got a choice. So I can either choose not to have the surgery done or I can choose to have it done. But if I choose not to have it done now, then by default, I'm choosing to have it done in the future when the risks are higher. So I was like, we might as well, we, we might as well, like, like play the odds and, and go for it. So, yeah, there was, there was some serious, there's actually only, at the time, only my partner, um, my ex-partner now, and my best friend had said that to Oh wow! Like I'd not said it. To, I'd not said it to family. I'd not said it to any other friends. Again, like even at that time, I was like, "Well, I don't want to put that on my mum and dad." <laughs> like no, exactly. It's probably fearful enough as it is for parents, let alone like you having like this intuitive feeling. And yeah, man, that was yeah, so I, I don't even know where it came from. Maybe a dream. I don't know. Like I don't. I don't believe in that stuff either. I don't believe in like kind of premonitions or, or or anything like that. I just. I can't tell you what it was. And what do you think your reason for being here now is? Is all the things you've got to live moving forward? Is it giving you a perspective of like, wow, I didn't lose my life and, you know, let me take advantage of being here? Yeah, so I, I'm very, I know that I'm very lucky. I know that I'm very, very lucky. It's not something that I pay that much attention to. A lot of people think like, it, what it was, it was this serious, significant, life-changing event, but... To me, it's just something that happened. It's just something that it was a situation that I was faced with and I had to take control of it. And that's exactly what I did. So now, looking back, when I look back, I'm like, oh, that really happened. Like, that's cool. That was a wild ride. But I'd love to be able to sit here and be some kind of like stoic guy and be like, and now I see every day and da 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 da. <laughs> I don't really think about it that much in a weird way. Yeah, I think that there would have been other people who would have probably wrote their 10 books off the back of it they would have started their yeah. tour of motivational speaking but i actually like that perspective to be honest dude like i like that you were just like at the time i was just in it and yeah i've got a beautiful perspective i've got that life-changing moment but it's not necessarily something i really reflect on on a day-to-day -day basis in the sense of like yeah i don't yeah. wake up and like okay i need to take advantage of this day you've just got a healthy gratitude of your life but not so much you know like well you know it could have been all over you know i quite like it to be honest it's, it's very rational and level-headed yeah it's it for sure it has changed me absolutely and i was aware in the run-up to the surgery and more so in the recovery period as well that it was changing it was life-changing like i knew i knew that but like I said, it's not something that I now. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> I'm not going to be that guy that talks about it in every single Instagram post. <laughs> and like, like you said, I'm I'm not going to milk it because for me, it's just something. Like I said, it was huge. It happened, and it has now happened. Yeah, dude, it's a pretty incredible story. And yeah, even if you don't talk about it so much, you still get all of my respect. And I'm sure all the listeners' respect for it as well. And what's even more, and just as impressive, I should say, is kind of the way that you've really transformed things. Like you said, kind of happy to run a bar 
living you know a party life in australia to coming to where you are today running an incredibly successful business you know dropping and then like almost you know probably over half of your body weight and living a life where you are now inspiring and helping people become the best versions of themselves through health and fitness through their mindset and everything along those lines and when i'm going to ask a really vague and and broad question here but i'm going to do it what do you think uh, some of the keys to the success that you've had from a lifestyle perspective and also from a business perspective and what are you doing with those things to inspire other people to achieve similar things? Yeah, I love this question uh, because the answer's always around the same, but it changes on a day-to-day basis, kind of whatever I'm like thinking about at the time. Um, something that I'm big on at the minute is objectivity. So like, as in actually dealing with what is in front of you. Like, th- this is something that, again, it was kind of forced on me by the situation that I went through is get really fucking good identifying what's actually happening. Not the way that you feel about certain things or your own spin on it or your perception. Get really good at identifying what's in front of you. Because then when you can, when you can do that, when you can really do that, then you can start to actually put things in place to deal with whatever you need to deal with, right? I think a lot of people, not just, again, yes, I can speak personally about the situation that I went through, but you mentioned business and also just in life in general, a lot of people struggle to identify between what's really going on and what they think is going on. And I know that that might get a little bit of hate, but there is a massive difference between the two. There's there's a load of things that we can talk about, negativity bias being one of them. Like what you think and perceive is going on usually isn't what's actually going on. So being able to identify between the two will also then lead you to kind of decide on okay, well, this is what's actually going on. So this should probably be my course of action. If I act and make decisions based on pure emotion and being caught in the situation, whatever the situation may be, it might not be the best. And being able to kind of step back and look at that and admit that, it's, yeah, it's 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 a key skill that I think, not just for business, not just for life, but life in general. Yeah, and I think everyone has the example of that when they're the third person in someone else's like situation and they're like, okay, well, I can give really good advice to that couple over there. I can give really good life advice. I know exactly what you need to do here, but I can't do it to myself. And I think it's literally yeah. as simple as applying that same perspective you would to someone else, to yourself. And I think I heard yeah. a quote a little while ago. It's like, treat yourself like a friend that you're actually trying to help quite often that's the best advice that you can give to yourself as well so how do people get to that place i think it sounds simple and just like well apply that third person perspective but how have you built that objectivity in yourself and make sure that you know you're not acting on emotion all the time or acting on your negativity bias yeah so first thing and this is not a plug whatsoever get coaching get help yep we we as human beings not just individuals we as human beings can't do that very well people struggle to hold themselves accountable because they're used to letting themselves down so how many times how many times have you said you i'm gonna do this and then not done it a a million a bazillion right me too like so many times this morning i'm gonna get out my i'm gonna get out of bed when my alarm goes off guess i forget guess what i didn't fucking do (laughs) maybe six i don't know but (laughs) i'm trying to make is that we all the time say we're going to do things and don't do it. So we are used to letting ourselves down. So when you then say you're going to do something big, when you're going to apply whatever to whatever, right? I'm going to do this, okay? You are that used to letting yourself down that you don't even notice that you're doing it anymore. So that is why my job role exists. That is why your job role exists. To have somebody 
to run things by, to hold you accountable to the things that you said you were going to do. As a coach, sometimes we have to tell people, I think you should do this. But more often than not, it's actually just holding people accountable to what they said they were going to do in the first place. Yeah, I completely agree. And one big thing on that is, I think, is also reflecting. Like, I think if there's one major thing that a lot of people miss out is actually looking back at what they did and why they weren't successful in the past or what they did well in the past. And I think that's probably the biggest, biggest mistake people make. It's like, I'm going to start this diet again, but then they run into that same problem for the sixth time. And that's why I think I love about coaching specifically when you actually have to check in with someone. You have to actually physically write down, kind of do a journal entry on like, well, how did the week go? Like, what actually went well and what didn't go so well and once you have that collection of data it's like oh wow i've got all of this you know understanding of what happened whereas i feel like if you just keep it in your mind and you never actually take the opportunity to put it down on paper or virtually then you're almost kind of just going through life kind of just in this day and kind of forget, only remembering probably the traumatic thing that happened a couple of weeks ago but actually kind of completely forgetting what actually happened yeah so great segue my second point was going to be journaling and you've just brought it up there <laughs> it's like we planned it's something it something that i yeah yeah absolutely yeah so first and foremost get coaching because at least at the start, that coach, if they're, if they're any good, they'll be able to actually point things out to you that you can't see at the minute. They'll be, able to, they'll be able to reframe things. They'll be able to give you a different objective perspective on what exactly is going on. And only through exposure to that will you get used to doing that to yourself. Because the matter of the fact is, the fact of the matter, is it matter of fact or fact of matter? Anyway, <laughs> um, the, the fact of the matter it's got to be that, right? Sounds right. The fact of the matter is, at this stage, you're not going to be very good at that. And you're not meant to know. If everybody knew how to do that, we'd all be walking around millionaires shredded with like, do you know what I mean? Like, we're just not very good at it. And that's fine. Uh, so use a coach until you get to the point where you are at least capable to do so. And then journaling alongside that, I, I, I reframe journaling to my clients as you're essentially learning to coach yourself. Right. So I, I don't, there are a ton of different ways to journal. I do sometimes use unprompted journaling. So the dear diary and then just go wild. But the, t- <clears throat> the type of journaling that I believe in and that I use they, on a daily basis is prompted journaling. And I answer the same five to six questions in the morning and the same five to six questions in the evening. What are those five to six questions? Yeah, I'm curious. So in the morning, it's, it's things like, how do I want to feel today? What am I willing to do to make that happen? Um, what obstacles may I face today? What can I do about them? Um, priorities, that sort of stuff. The two most important questions when it comes to journaling, in my journaling, at least anyway, in the evening are, what did I not handle, my, what did I not handle to the best of my ability today? And then part two, how can I handle that differently next time? Because again, like when you're in the moment, you're not meant to know how to do everything. Like you won't know how to do everything. But then being able to sit after, like you said, reflect when you're no longer in the moment, when emotions are flying high or whatever, and you're making decisions based on what you want most of the time, when you can then look back at it again with that objectivity and go, actually, yeah, probably didn't handle that too well. Now, knowing what I know now, here's what I can do next time. Yeah, and that's the amazing thing because then it's staring you back in the face and it's not like, I'll get it tomorrow morning or I'll do better in the future. (laughs) You're literally kind of reliving that experience, but from, as you mentioned in your first point, an objective way. And everyone has the power of hindsight. Everyone has the power of retrospect. 
And as you mentioned, we're not always supposed to know the answer in that moment, but we have a much better opportunity to answer that in a very, very valuable way when we're actually able to look at it and reflect on it. It's again, it's that third person perspective. It's like almost you're reliving that situation, but it's no longer you in that situation, right? Are there any other big things? Objectivity, journaling, what are some other things? Yeah, so um, having something that I'm, I'm, I'm realizing the power of at the minute is, is a peer group is you, you hear a lot about um, you hear a lot of that bullshit online that if your friends aren't talking about investments and that fuck that you don't have to cut anybody out absolutely not however having a wide range of people that you have access to that are also doing things similar and bigger than what you want to do it's kind of for me what it's really done is it's shown me what's possible but it's also it's also given me a group of people that I can ask for help from. So there's a, I think it, I think it's a Tony. Rob, I want to say it's a Tony Robbins quote, a real old Tony Robbins quote. That's like the fastest way to learn to do anything. I'm completely paraphrasing. I'm probably butchering this. Uh, the fastest way to, way to learn to do anything is find somebody that's already do it, done it, and and copy them. Essentially, like learn from them. So that's why I have I currently have three different coaches for three different areas of my life. Right. But what that has given me is it's also given me access to the peer group of people that are using them for coaching as well. So like I'm in um, I, I do one to one mentorship with Paul, only two other coaches in that entire group. But seeing some of the games that the other people are playing, like there's mortgage advisors in there. There are advertising, a guy that runs an advertising agency, so like paid advertising. Nothing to do really with with what I want to do, but having access to other people and their way of thinking, again, gives me another perspective that I, I, I just don't have at the minute. Absolutely. And I think that that's the big thing of any type of like younger or not even younger, but like aspiring person is to have examples of the possibility. And sometimes the examples of possibility when they're 10 years down the line can be more intimidating than motivational. It depends on the person, the actual individual who's looking at that person. But quite often you're like, well, this person who's 10 years down the line, their fitness journey, like it's great that they look that way, but I never think I am. But if you've got people who are like literally within your network, you can go and speak to them at a conference or they're maybe two or three years ahead of you in business or kind of at that same stage like you mentioned it just opens you up your eyes to what's possible and i think it's no surprise to anyone that if you hang around with a lot of people who are generally in shape you're probably going to make more choices of in shape people so the same goes for life and business right yeah absolutely it's that whole success leaves clues right like yeah like they're literally leaving breadcrumbs if you watch the way that they've done things whatever it is it will there will be clues behind it and like I said, rather than focusing on the end goal, whatever that may be, focusing on the, the, what's in front of you, again, being objective and being able to identify where you are. And like, don't worry about being able to take the step that they're taking 10 steps down the head. Can you take the first one, right? Can you just take that first step? People, I found in coaching, um, I, I'm, I'm very big on kind of like goal setting and actually then breaking the goals down into, into like actionable steps because... Everybody has these big dreams, right? Everybody kind of knows vaguely what they want. You'd be surprised how many people have an idea of what they want but don't know crystal clear, which is a completely separate conversation. But everybody has a rough end goal, but that's all it ever stays as. Yeah, that's a fair point. Because people are like, I know that I want this big thing. I'm not going to use fat loss or business or anything. I want this big thing. But then what they don't do, I, the, the, the step of goal setting that I think people miss out on 
and I speak about this a lot within my client base and I've talked about it within within the mentorship as well, is, okay, you've, you know what you want. Now, let's say you've just set yourself a year goal, okay? Instead of just leaving it a year, let's break it down. So what have you got to do? How would you know that you're 50% of the way to achieving that, right? Because then, lo and behold, you've just given yourself a six-month goal, right? Okay, now how would I know that I'm 50% of the way to achieving that? Great. Now you know what you've got to do in three months. And literally breaking it down to the point where you can break a year goal, three-year goal, whatever, you, any big goal that you've got, don't just leave it as that. Break it down into a set of daily tick boxes, a set of daily processes, and then watch how fast you start to move towards it. Absolutely. And a big thing that a lot of people are going to come up against is midway through their journey or a quarter of the way or even two days in, they're going to start to have some self-doubt. They're maybe not going to see the process of achieving their goals as quickly as they would like to. In those type of situations, I know that sometimes your advice is quite no nonsense and I love that approach to be completely honest. I know it doesn't work with everyone, but it definitely rings true to me. Like, how do you get those people to keep on going and how do you keep on going yourself? I'm sure there are occasional moments of self-doubt, which, you know, we all experience, but there's obviously the difference between those people who work through it and those people who get essentially tripped up by it entirely. So how do you handle self-doubt and, you know, not quite being able to reach the goals in the time frame that you wanted to? So... First thing that I would say to people, and I say it to myself regularly, is the only way to guarantee that you will never achieve it is to stop. Sure. Right? With a, with a lot of goals, we set deadlines. We as human beings set deadlines. It's good to work to deadlines. It creates a bit of pressure, all that sort of stuff. But there is no real deadline, right? Unless you're working, unless you're employed and you've been handed a deadline and you don't get to decide that. When we set our own goals, we set the deadline. So first thing is realizing that the only way that you will never get there is to stop. Right. And then realizing that the deadline more often than not is completely fabricated anyway. Right. So it's getting used to the idea that you are making progress full stop. That there doesn't need to be an addition to that sentence. Not as quick as you'd like, not as fast as like there is no there is no deadline in most cases. Um, so realizing that the only way that you will never get there is to stop realizing that the deadline itself isn't a thing more often than not. But then. After that, it's kind of then that diving into the idea of self-belief itself, right? Is if you haven't achieved the thing that you want to achieve yet, then you don't deserve self-belief right now because you don't have any evidence that you can do the thing, right? There'll be some people out there, and I fucking wish I was one of them, that will believe in themselves no matter what, regardless of if they've got evidence or not, and they're the people that end up doing crazy big things. Great, good for them. But the average human being doesn't, isn't like that. I'm not like that. I, I know I'm not like that. But what I would say to people is people think that the kind of chain of command goes, I need self-belief first. Then when, I've, then when I've got self-belief, I can take action. And then when I take action, I'll get the result. And I might know you've got it all wrong. You've, you've got it all wrong. I was like, you know what you want. The first thing you have to do, if you want self-belief, you need to gain evidence. So the first thing that you need to do is just do the fucking thing. And something that I say to clients all the time, and I've actually got like a, a webinar based just around this in my in my client group, is ultimately the, the, the overriding theme is what if you just did it without self-belief? Is could you, if I was stood next to you with a gun to your head, could you take this action even without self-belief? Nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, the answer is yes, right? So it's like, well, okay, let's try this new thing then. Let's take action for an agreed period of time without self-belief. If the action is right, you will start to make progress. 
without self-belief. What that progress will do is it will give you evidence that you can do the thing. And only from that evidence will you then get self-belief. Yeah, I was speaking the same language there. Like I always say to my clients that you need to build your bank of evidence. Like that's what I say. It's like right now you've got a lot of evidence stacked against you to the person that you currently are and not the person that you want to be. So right now you just need to start stacking and stacking and stacking until your pile of what you want to be is higher than the pile of what you have been. And then it's just a case of reframing the narrative, right? And then just saying, well, that stack of evidence is you know, it's enormous, but that was a past version of myself. This is, doesn't reflect anything that I have been in this past month, this past two months, this past three months. So this is actually a more accurate representation of my reality right now versus what I was in the past. Yeah, I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And I guess when you, when you think about it that way, looking back at myself, right, I spent over 10 years gaining all that weight, right? That'd be like me trying to diet for three days and be like, oh, I just want to go back to eating like, an idiot like i just want to go back to eating shit well of course you do you've done that for year decades like maybe 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 a dozen years maybe 12 years right so until you've kind of like you said built enough evidence up to fight against that version and it might not take the same amount of time as in like actual time but you've got to you've got to really really fight against it because then when you do hit one of those obstacles whether it is weight loss or building a business or whatever of course you are going to want to revert to the thing that you've done more of like you're gonna re- you're always gonna revert to your most practiced behavior mm-hmm. and being able to remind yourself that at the minute my most pra- if, if you've if you've got a ton of weight to lose we'll use this as the example if you've got a ton of weight to lose and you've dieted for three months and you've been eating to excess for i don't know 10 years after three months if you hit an obstacle of course you're still going to want to go back to eating like you were for the 10 years because that's what you, that's what you're used to so yeah, being able, being able to catch yourself in that moment, not easy, but being able to catch yourself in that moment and, and remind yourself of that is really important. Yeah. It's just a, a practice thing more so than anything. And then like I said, having that self-belief of, okay, this is just an obstacle. And again, if I look at my last three months as the example, it's one paper, like one pile of my stack of paper of evidence versus you know the past 90 days of where i've done everything correctly and i think it's sometimes not getting lost in that moment of just the day but kind of having that bigger picture of like well how does it look comparatively to my last three months not my last 10 years and i think that if we can apply that perspective it just makes us a little bit more rational it leans away from that all or nothing mindset that trips a lot of people up as well and the next question i have for you lewis is uh, going to be an interesting one do you believe in motivation do i believe in motivation um yes i do um expand yeah there you go so i know there's a narrative at the minute if you don't need to be motivated you need to be disciplined and all that sort of stuff right and i previously have been part of that i i've been part of that narrative of like oh don't worry about motivation just be disciplined but nobody can deny that we all feel motivation at different points nobody can deny that when we do feel motivated things are easier Right. So I get that it's it's easy for coaches. And again, I thought I've fallen into this trap myself. It's easy for coaches to be like, oh, don't you don't need to be motivated. Yeah, but it's easier when we are. So why the fuck would we not want to be all well and good sat behind Instagram telling people they don't need to be motivated. So I I do believe in motivation. Um, I the way that I kind of word it is if you think of a lighter, right, people think motivation is the fuel and it's not. Right? That's what discipline is. Discipline is a fuel. Motivation is a little spark. And every now and then you need that little bit of spark to start the fire. Right? Should you run off motivation? No, because that's not realistic. 
right? But then I would also say to people is that you never need to be motivated to do the things that you want to do. So I think actually it's a misalignment of values, right? How often I have, um, I'll use myself as an example. I never need to be motivated to eat five guys, ever. <laughs> Me neither. Ever. <laughs> because I love it, right? Do I need to be motivated every now and then to watch my food and to eat a salad? Well, yeah, I do. Because motivation is what you have to use every now and then to force yourself to do something that you don't really want to do. Right? So I would say if you can find a way to hook the actions or the behaviors that you're trying to take to your values and your long-term goal, every now and then you still will need motivation, but it'll be less often for sure. Right? A further point on motivation is intrinsic motivation is actually something that's been studied a lot more than people think, right? And and, and there's, there, are three, there are three large parts that make up intrinsic motivation. So again, coaches sat there saying, you don't need to be motivated. Why would you not want your clients to be motivated? Um, so autonomy, mastery and purpose. Three large parts. If you can, if you can get all those three, three things firing on all cylinders, you will experience what is now known as motivation more often right so autonomy is essentially the the realization that you are governing yourself that you're making decisions for yourself mastery is knowing that you are getting better at something and purpose knowing why you are doing what you're doing if you can create those three things in the right proportions you will feel more what we now know as motivated if you'd have asked me that question maybe two years ago i'd have said no Fuck motivation, be disciplined. <laughs> but the more I kind of think about it and the more I think about um, like, like working in alignment with your values and the more that I think about like, like energy and like how it actually is. Do you know what motivation is? Motivation is like the word tone. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's like, is it, is it really a thing? Well, maybe there's an argument to be made for both sides. But if that's what we experience as humans, who gives a fuck? So, so yeah, that, that, that's, that's my take on motivation. Is that, I, I, I have a feeling that's probably not what you were expecting. It wasn't, to be completely honest. But at the same time, I think we align a lot on that because of when you ask a client, let's get your body fat levels low and let's increase your muscle tissue. They're like, what the hell are you talking about? But if you say, hey, we're going to try and tone you up, they're going to be like, ah, yeah, I want to get toned. You know, they know what you're talking about. So if someone comes into a coaching service and they're like, you need to be disciplined, I guarantee you that they know more about motivation than they do discipline. And they also probably have a better relationship with motivation than they do discipline. So you're almost starting them off. Yes, you do need to be, you know, I mean, and what makes up discipline, right? It's just consistency, doing the things that you need to do, et cetera, et cetera. But people don't have that much of a positive relationship with discipline. However, if you're like, okay, we can work off this spark of motivation. I feel the same about this. It's like, is using it as lighter fuel? And that's simply what it is. And that's what gets most people enough inertia to get going in the first place. Like you, most people don't start from a place of discipline. They start from a place of motivation. And for me, it's like, okay, what you got to recognize here is that motivation starts here, but literally it's going to, it's going to drop and then it's going to come up and down. It's going to be in peaks. So what I tell a lot of people when they start working with me from a fat loss perspective, I'm like, okay, we know that the motivation, we don't know the time frame of this, but it's highly likely that within the course of the next two days and eight weeks, you're probably not going to feel it as strongly. So what we want to do is as this motivation goes down, let's try and build up some great habits in the process and let's get some results as well because the habits are going to keep you going and the 
the fact you're going to be incentivized by the results is going to give you those little bits of motivation that aren't so fleeting like that big spark that you had at the beginning. So I kind of try and look at it as like an interchange. Let's build up the habits and the results as the motivation dips. And then when that motivation comes, that's our moment to push forward. That's our moment for those little sprints. But it's not going to be the thing that takes us to the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. You could put, you can almost plot it on a graph. Like if you've got time across the bottom, right, and motivation up the side, you've got basically what I call the valley of fuck this. So you're motivated at the start and then the more that time goes by, you kind of, it drops off, it drops off, it drops off. And the closer towards achieving your goal it gets, it starts to spike up again, right? And uh, a, a, a quote or an analogy, whatever you want to phrase it as, that I heard, and I don't know where I heard this, so I'm, I'm sorry that I can't credit the person, is that nobody ever quits a marathon in the first two miles or the last two miles, right? You, you start a marathon, I don't know. I've never been a runner, like, but I, I imagine you start a marathon, everything's well exciting, right? You're all running, you're all on the start line, it's buzzing, there's music playing, all that sort of shit, it's, it's exciting, you're getting on with it, right? And then you realise when the crowds start to die down and the pack starts to separate out and it starts to become less exciting, fuck, I've got to do this for 24 more miles, yeah? And, and it's just one of those things that it's boring, it's mundane, you've got to force yourself through it. But then as you start to approach the end again, yeah, the crowd starts to pick up, everybody's cheering, the music's playing, it's all getting exciting, and you can see the finish line. Nobody's quitting there, right? It's, it, that, that's what motivation is. It, it's the, it's the I'm, really, I'm really motivated at the start. Fuck this. I'm really motivated again now. And, and it's just kind of like, you can get through that valley of fuck this. Am I allowed to swear on this? I didn't check at the beginning. Of course you can, bro. If, if you can get through the valley of fuck this, then, then you're going to be good. But getting through that valley isn't going to be easy. You are, this is where you are going to have to do certain things that you don't want to do. And again, like rely back on discipline like, as we so eat. It rolls off the tongue like it's the easiest thing in the world to do, right? But it's, we know it's not. No, no one has a good relationship with discipline. When you think of discipline, you think of school, you think of parents, you think of all the things that you didn't want to do. So if a coach is saying that, like you're probably still traumatized by that word. So it's like, sometimes it's better to say, okay, well, motivation, because that's exciting and fluffy. It's like, okay, great. That it exists. Let's use it, but let's not rely on it. As you mentioned, it's like being, me and my girlfriend were playing PlayStation 2 the other day and we're playing, uh, you know, Crash Nitro Kart where you're racing. It's like having a power up, right? It's like you use that power up, but the power up doesn't get you through the entire race. Otherwise you're like going all over the place. You just use those power ups from time to time and then you use the rest of your fuel the other time as well. So that, that's, that's my little analogy for that as well. I'm stealing it. I like it. It's good. <laughs> yeah, the motivation of your power ups. That's what we're going to, that's going to, what maybe we'll name this podcast episode today. But the final big question I got for you today, Lewis, is the grind and hustle culture. It's not as fashionable as it used to be. Yeah, it still exists. And a lot of people use it to a great deal of success. And I'm curious to get your take on the utility of that for someone who wants to become successful in any area of their life. So what is your thoughts on the grind and the hustle culture? First of all, define what success is to you, right? I think that's really important when we start having this conversation. This is a conversation I had at the event that I was at on, uh, on, on Friday, is define what success is to you first and foremost. Because to me, right now, success is in a period of time being like, never having to worry about money, like, like, like big, big success. But to some people, success might be being comfortable, but also having a great work-life balance, right? So first and foremost, decide, decide what it is that you want, because that will tell you kind of, it'll give you some, at least a bit of an indication of, of to what's, what's ahead of you. That, that's really important. But then I would say if you want like objective success in anything, not just business in anything, 
be prepared that for a period of time you are going to have to go like you are going to have to subscribe to hustle culture you are going to have to subscribe to grind culture there are going to be times there are times that, like at the minute i'm doing maybe 60 hours a week sat down the laptop it's just if you really want that you don't have you don't have to do it but if you don't want to do it then you might not get the thing that you want if that's what you want it's almost embrace it like i've, I've given myself i committed at the start of this year that i knew this year was going to be rough work-wise right Am I hating it? No. Am I loving it? Also, no. But it's just something that kind of I've got to get through to get to where I want to be. Will I be able to live the rest of my life like this? Absolutely fucking not. Absolutely not. But can I commit a period of time, a pre-agreed period of time? Again, going back to the deadlines that we create for ourselves to really, to really graph stuff out and, and accept it. Yeah, I can do that because there's nobody forcing me to do it. It's a choice. It's something that I'm aware of. I'm, I am, I am glad that it's not that fashionable anymore because there's only so there's only so much people can run on 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 a certain amount of graft without at least causing themselves some problems in life whether it is health problems whether it is like like socializing like social problems social health financial whatever right it's it's again that that line is different for everybody but my my take on it has changed over the past few months because i'm in it now I, I'm in that at the minute. Previously, when I was working in the bar and I had no intention of being uh, of being self-employed or, or taking all this kind of responsibility on, I was happy doing my 40 hours a week and chilling the rest of the time and I, I, having a nice work-life balance and, and it was great. For me, it's on a sliding scale is, uh, I guess, the best way to, is the best way to kind of frame it. Do you have any fears that you'll get to the end of this year and you'll set that next goal and you'll want to get straight back to that and you're never going to really feel content with your success because of this is what I find with ambitious people and high achievers is like there's always the next goal so when do you get to that place where you're like well actually no I am content I know you said know what success looks like but success looks like one thing this year but it's also going to look like the next level next year if you are able to get yourself there do I have any fears no but I've also not really thought about it that's one of those things that I think if I really sat and ruminated on that, then yeah, I, I, I would I would start to pick holes in it. I think I haven't thought about it. I think me not thinking about it is probably subconsciously a choice not to think about it. Mm-hmm. Because what I don't want to do is undermine my own hard work. Like I, I, I'm, I'm completely aware of what you're saying. I've listened to a lot of really successful people speak about this sort of thing, right? But for me, like I, I know what my vision is at the minute. And I know what that is. And I know what I've got to do to get there. That's not to say that if and when I achieve that vision, it won't have changed. I, I don't deem myself as successful at all, really, because because of the access to certain people that I've got, Steve being one of them, some of the other people in my network through my mentorship. I'm tiny fish, big pond in, in, in that sense. Um, but I do look at other people that are like, again, I can use Steve as an example. It, there's always been a next thing and there always will be a next thing. So yeah, it's it's an interesting question. It is an interesting question, but I think, like I said, I think I am subconsciously choosing not to think about it because I don't want to stop myself from doing the work. I selfishly asked that question because I wanted to know your answer, but like I trust in my ability to know when to quote unquote slow down or to like pause and just be content. But at the same time, there's no guarantee for me knowing that. And I'm the same as you. Like I don't want to entertain any ideas that I don't want to create for my life. So I kind of asked that question, hoping you would have a better answer than I did, but it looks like we're in the same place. (laughs) 
have got better. I must say, I have got very recently. I have got better at noticing when I need to chill for a bit. So, like for last last week was the first week where I finished work at six pm each day. Uh, start at nine, finish at six. Solid work, but up until then, like for the for the for weeks previous, for for weeks and weeks and weeks, it's been nine am starts, nine pm finishes, and that's with getting up to go to the gym at five am, walking the dog, sitting at the laptop. I think. I'm getting better at noticing it. So I'm just going to kind of trust my intuition for now. So like, if I'm like, if I'm feeling okay and I've got stuff to do, like, like yesterday, for example, I told myself I wanted to be finished work yesterday at 5 PM at 10 to five. I was in the middle of some work and it was just, it was just flowing. Like I was like, I don't want to say like in flow state, like it's a bit of a wanky, <laughs> but it was flowing. So I sat and I got the job done and I finished at like 6.30, but I feel okay to do so. I'm getting a lot better at, you need to slow down. You need to have a break. Like, and when, when that happens is I will, I'll have like a phone free weekend as in literally like, I don't even fucking look at either like work phone or personal phone done off. I'll walk the dog. I'll play some PlayStation. I'll go to the cinema. I'll, I'll just chill. I'll, and then straight back into it. So I think I would say the caveat is is that I am I am getting better at knowing when I need to stop. Mm-hmm. And how does your girlfriend feel about it? She's fine. She's in. She's she's in it as well. She's an online. She's a coach. She's she understands the way that it is. Like something that we're both kind of on the same page about, um, which is a nice position to be in. What about yours? She's the same. She's unbelievably supportive, and I think that. The most important thing when you go through these stages is like you've mentioned, like a getting people to understand like what this year is all about or what this time frame of your life is all about. She does, if I'm completely honest, has fears of me never being satisfied and kind of always looking for the next thing and the next thing. But as I've mentioned, like I would rather get to a stage in which I want to be in and I feel like I'm going to be in a much better position to answer that question, right? It's like, it's hard to tell the person like when they're still 30 kilos overweight, it's like, well, when will you stop? And I'm like, well, when I'm actually in the shape that I really want to be in and I feel like great about myself, I feel like I'm going to have a better gauge of I'm content here. But whilst I'm still 30 kilos overweight, I'm not going to be able to tell you right now. So that's always been my take. And it's been a little bit hard for her to hear, to be completely honest. But like, I'm just trusting in my ability here. And then like, I think the key to success is just letting the people know around you, like what your goals are, you know, and then also creating the time for them as well. And then, you know, it just all comes down to values and priorities, right? Yeah, for sure. I really like that way of looking at it is there are there are better situations to be in to make that decision. The weight was one, the, the business thing is one, is that if I commit to this year a graft and I end the business, I end the year in a much better position, personally and financially, than I started it, but I'm still not there. I'm still a damn sight further along than where I was. That's so, my thoughts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I never really thought about it that way. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, I've got a final couple of questions for you. I would keep you longer, but I want to respect your time. So the final couple of questions I've got for you is, what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? So I really just want to empower people to realize that they are in control of their own shit, right? It, it's, it's <clears throat> I guess it's a fairly, it's a fairly big ask in some certain, in, in some circumstances. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I'm going to change the world. I would be happy if everybody that I work with or even come in contact with on a day-to-day basis, the impact that I want to have is one of empowerment, of realizing that actually, no matter what's going on, whatever situation that you're in, however it's looking, you can do something about it. That That's the thing. That, that For me, that's my thing. My, my, my number one value when it comes to business is empowerment. 
and it's not the speed feeding, it's not dragging people through things, kicking and screaming, it's making them realize that they can change it. I love that. I love that. Giving them back their responsibility, right? And letting them know that they have it and they have the power to change things the way they want to. Yeah, absolutely love that, dude. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing, if they want to follow your journey? Yeah, it is just at Lewis, L-E-W-I-S underscore body and brain on Instagram. I have a website, bodyandbraincoaching.co.uk. It is under maintenance at the minute. So if you go and search it right now, by the time this comes out, hopefully it's back up and running. We will see. But yeah, just just Instagram for now uh, is is absolutely the best place. Amazing. I'll put it in the description below. But Lewis, thank you so much for your time today, buddy. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I think the listeners are going to gain a ton of value. I've really enjoyed this, mate. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure, dude. Thank you.